Welcome to Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. This is a journey by a journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value, and a new experience. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Insomniac HQ, this is Wide Awake Stories. Welcome back to Wide Awake Stories. We're on episode 22 and I'm excited to introduce it because it's about bass music. Yes, it is. Happy uh, New Year, everyone, too. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy New Year. Job, oh, a new voice. Whose voice is that? Little warm, wide awake stories. Welcome to Mr. Tony Marino, our guest for this episode on bass music. What's up, Tony? Welcome to the show. Yo, how's it going? Very well, very well. For people that don't know, will you please introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, as Rich mentioned, my name is Tony Marino. I'm the head of Bass Rush, and yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. What does being the head of Bass Rush entail on a day to day and a week to week and month to month level here at Insomniac? A lot of it involves booking the lineups for our festival stages or curating concerts or putting together club nights. In addition to that, trying to, you know, scout new talent and uh, just work on pushing bass music forward with the resources we have here. Bass Rush is the division of Insomniac that looks after all dubstep, trap, what other styles of music come underneath bass Trevor rush? Bass, um, anything bass music, we do it. All right. And a common misconception, maybe for some, is that bass rush is a new brand. It is not a new brand. Bass rush has been around since 2002, right? Yeah, I believe it was, it was started in 2002. Started as a techno party, the first show that they did, and later Whoops. I think evolved into a German <laughs> bass party. Um, but yeah, I was brought in about four years ago. That's how long I've been here. All right, so uh, we're all back at work. Everybody's back at work uh, after the Christmas and holiday period. What did you do for New Year's Eve, Deirdre? New Year's Eve, I was on a road trip through Central and Northern California. Um, so the dance music I was listening to was all in the car and on my phone. So having a rave in my hotel room with uh, my boyfriend in Petaluma. So that was fun. Oh, that's nice. So did anybody here uh, go to any raves on uh, for New Year's Eve? Oh, shy. What of course you... I did. Go on. I went to see Tipper in San Francisco for two nights, which is my favorite artist. Nice. Very weird, very fun. And then caught an 8 a.m. flight to come to Countdown. Wow, that's dedication. Tony, uh, you, did, did the aliens come? Uh, yeah, there was definitely an alien invasion, but we, uh, I think we scared them away. I was at Countdown <laughs> as well. Um, Bayshish had a stage there. It was pretty massive. Um, it was pretty dope because we were in the, one of the structures, which has super dope production. It was pretty dope sets from everyone, I would say. Who are your standout, who are your standout performances of the night? Uh, I would say Zeke Beats Back to Back Champagne Drip had a really sick set. Um, that's one that we've been really looking forward to. They're fairly newer acts as far as the projects go, and it's been dope to see them come up. And that Back to Back was the first time they've done it for us. Um, so that was super dope to see. And uh, I would say Hero Bus also had a super dope set. It's really interesting like to see the artists that come through and play 
Bass Rush experience stages or Bass Rush events or like club nights in LA and see the camaraderie that not only exists between the artists themselves, but the family dynamic that exists between you and the artists and all the people really who work for Insomniac. There's like a lot of, of, of people in production. Yeah, definitely. It's a real big family atmosphere. I'm curious to know as these artists get bigger and bigger, as bass music gets bigger and bigger, does that family bond still stay strong? Because I know sometimes people get big and then they don't know you or they go away or they won't really play a show. It seems like with Bass Rush is different. Yeah, I think that um, our genre doesn't really have that problem as far as people forgetting about you or, you know, people, no matter how big they get, they're pretty down to earth and pretty mellow. Everyone keeps it cool. I'm interested to know, actually, in the last four years since you've been the head honcho of Bass Rush, whose careers are you responsible for? Whose careers have you really helped? Who was small when you took them on for a warm-up set and who's absolutely rocking now is what I'm trying to say. Who, who, you know, who have you helped along the way? Oh, man. Um, well, I feel like the artists do a lot of the, the work themselves to develop their careers, but um, we definitely... Uh, partake in the development of it you know i think it's a it's a partnership right mm-hmm. um there's certain artists that i feel like bef- when i got hired that insomniac may have never booked you know i feel that that's part of the value that i brought was putting some light to certain artists there's other artists that would have been booked regardless you know there's artists like gentlemen's club that when i was an independent promoter i i brought them for their first la show so when i came over to insomniac i continued that relationship used my, you know, the platform you know given here at insomniac to help them as well you know they're they're very talented but you know they're more of an uh, underground act um there's also artists like like snails or or nightmare who you know they would have been big regardless but we got in very early before before they really caught wind so you know i feel that insomniac's been part of their their career i'm sure they'd agree yeah i think i think there's definitely been a partnership with a lot of these artists i mean for me specifically what really keeps me excited or keeps me wanting to do this as as a career living is being finding and identifying talent before it gets big Mm -hmm. and being a part of that relationship you know that's the fun part like anybody off the street can just you know pick out you know these are the top selling artists book them that's that's the easy part right the fun part is trying to you know find music on SoundCloud, see what excites you, and then, you know, trying to book them before anyone else does. And then, you know, the fans are also pretty involved. Like, you'd be surprised how much the fans, they know shit, like, way before it comes out, too. So, like, I'll book an artist who I, w- I would think that nobody knows about just because I heard it was dope on SoundCloud. We put on a lineup and the kids freak out, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, you know, Zeke Beats, for example, is actually a really good example. There was one year when I was just, like, on SoundCloud, uh, just going through stuff because I, I, I kind of had you know it was something that I used to do regularly look for music and then you know I kind of got a little complacent and just got comfortable and it was about six months since I, I wasn't looking for stuff and then I spent about a couple hours on SoundCloud I kept clicking away getting lost in the in the vortex and I came across this page and I played the song and I was like what is this and it just totally took me away so I like immediately went to his info section hit up the agent I'm like hey I would love to book Zeke Beats like oh well we don't have a visa we're from Australia we've never played the states I'm like well well, get a visa I'll, <laughs> I'll sort it out I'll put you on these shows and uh, I think it was Project Z a couple years ago and um, you know sure enough I think that inquiry is what inspired them to get their visa mm-hmm. then they got an agent then we did the first LA show with them and since then it's been crazy to see his career take off from that you know and that was just a random day spending on SoundCloud you know, trying to find new talent. Amazing. 
Do the agents remember that when it when they're like you know six figure artists and headlining stages around the world when you come to book them again three years later? <laughs> yeah, I think most of the agents, if you develop the history, they will give you that courtesy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's also that's why I find it important to develop the relationships directly with the artist. The agents they have a job, you know, and their job is to do whatever is beneficial for financially for them, you know. So I think I found also, you know being able to actually connect with the artist and have a direct contact with them or their manager is always going to be more beneficial than the agent, you know. But that's the family aspect of of not just the genre, but the base rush brand. Yeah, definitely. I talk to some artists sometimes sometimes I'll go play a show and they just show up, they go on stage, they play the gig and they leave. They don't even know who they're playing for. I think that's, you know, an important thing about, you know, base rush, even in Somiac that there's 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 a soul behind it. You're not just playing for some corporate company. There's people behind it who actually, you know, live and breathe it. And I think that actually separates us from other promoters in the country. Yeah. I think that's a perfect segment to talk about 12th Planet. Uh, I completely agree. He's such a day one. Such a day one. And just if you've had the pleasure of like getting to talk to him or hang out with him, he's just so wonderful to be around. You, you want to see that in action, go on YouTube and search for Golf Cart Confessions, 12th Planet. He was on uh, the show in EDC, New York. And even though it's maybe like a two total minutes of interview, you can really see that spirit come across where I think he said his motto was like five or five thousand meaning whether it's five people in a room or five thousand people you just give it your all 100% and he all is the time. always so having just as much if not more fun, fun he probably yeah. has more fun yeah. when it's five people <laughs> he loves that he's an amazing guy actually I recently met him and was was hanging and been hanging out with him a little bit and he's he's so full of energy I want yeah. I want some of that and he's a really really nice guy like yeah, really nice. genuinely genuine I've never person. heard anyone say anything bad about him other than I love John or I love being around him or it's like you just have a big smile on your face because he's so happy. So the two Johns got together the intrepid John Ochoa and uh, John Dadsey aka 12th Planet and uh, check that interview out now. Welcome to Wide Awake Stories. There's no way of having the conversation about bass music without talking to the man, the myth, the legend, 12th Planet. How you doing, man? What's up, baby? How you doing? First of all, how are you awake right now? I know you just came from Australia. Yeah, Australia-New Zealand combo and the jet lag is so real. But you know what? Anytime to speak with Insomniac, I'm waking up because I'm always wide awake. Hey! <laughs> Air horns. <laughs> You're credited with helping introduce dubstep to American audiences back in the mid-2000s. How did you initially discover the sound and what drew you to the music? I initially discovered the sound of dubstep uh, in England. I was uh, touring as a drum and bass artist uh, in the early 2000s and mid-2000s. And uh, I was touring a lot in England and uh, that kind of was like the second room was the dubstep room and seeing people like Hatcha and Slaughter Mob and Scream and 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 Vexed and even uh, this uh, drum and bass artist Techage uh, that was kind of my first like foray into it and then uh, once the uh, Marianne Hobbs dubstep wars mix dropped uh, that's when everything changed for me I, I, I knew like she put like a a name 
to the artist so like I could like go and search their stuff and go to the record store and look for it and then uh, I was like uh, addicted ever since since then you've been dubbed the king of dubstep and the US dubstep godfather after more than a decade of the sound what keeps you in the scene I love the the evolution of the sound like how it went from um, being very simple to being very complicated to being simple again and uh, just being a part of that rise and like um, and 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 being a part of a time where uh, synthesizers and and different plugins are available and easier to, to purchase and cheaper to purchase and it's helped uh, a lot of people's uh, creative outlet and especially mine so um, I've just been you know completely like um, captivated by uh, the evolution of the 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 plugins and programs and and uh, also how that gets or how that ties in with the music, you know. So you mentioned Marianne Hobbs' legendary Dubstep Wars radio episode, which to many consider the start of dubstep, the, the the origins of dubstep. Looking back at it now, when did you realize this dubstep thing is bigger than we think? I can't remember what year it was, but um, me and my friend Drew, uh, we went to this uh, party in England called DMZ, uh, DMZ, sorry, and it was the third three-year anniversary, and like up until then, my only like knowledge of dubstep had been, you know, uh, seeing it at Forward or being like at the second room of some drum and bass party and seeing it like um or like just seeing it at the parties in los angeles only and um this party when i got there with drew uh we both like looked at each other we're like damn look at how long this line is to get in to this venue like it was at the brixton mass and uh there was a line like i'm talking had to be like 2,000 people in this line waiting to get in and and just being in line and like hearing all the different languages being spoken like you'd hear Russian, Czech, French, German, uh, Australian accents, Canadian accents, American accents. It was just like, whoa, this is like bigger than just like um, a genre that's a subgenre in England, you know, this is like worldwide now. And then that really woke me up um, when I really knew dubstep was like about to be huge was uh, I think it might have been my first show at Avalon as 12th Planet um, uh, it was uh, one of the earlier control nights and um, I played with Rusko but we uh, the show ended up being after another show that they booked before which was like uh, Cypress Hill and Chino uh, from Deftones like they did like a, a a charity concert and like that thing was like completely sold out and they had like only an hour to change that show over to go into the dubstep show and like you just saw all these like Cypress Hill and Chino fans like you know like leaving and then like double the size line to get in for the Rusko show and then um I, I, I played like kind of the warm-up set like because they, they weren't able to uh, finish breaking down the stage so I played like in one of the balcony terraces and um, they had a curtain on the stage and so the, uh, as soon as they raised the curtain 
like Rusko had these big green like glasses on that were neon and like the roar that happened and like just you know a thousand two thousand kids rushing the stage or rushing to the barricade of the stage you know and like that's when i knew i was like oh this is way bigger than i thought it was ever gonna be you're definitely touching on a aspect that is pretty unique to the dubstep scene which is the community of headbangers i for one don't come from that scene but i caught one of your sets at electric forest i think 2016 or 2017 and i just watched a sea of headbangers just losing it you know rail riding just everything what is it about dubstep that brings this community together from across the world um in terms of the headbanging like you know that's like relatively new and i think it has a lot to do with the the heavy metal and the gent um uh the gent's like a metal genre like um that contingency that's like converted from like prog metal into dubstep because there's a lot of similarities and i think they brought a lot of that um energy to the the scene because i mean before that you know dubstep was like very influenced by reggae so a lot a lot of it was a lot of freeform dancing a lot of like you know girls uh getting freaky and stuff like that and and um over the years it's kind of gotten a little bit more aggressive because of the like the success of dubstep has like brought in influences from other genres and um you know a lot of a lot of people like go to shows for synchronicity and you saw a lot of that during the electro days like when you know like you know a big steve aoki track or whatever would drop and then the entire crowd would be jumping up simultaneously at the same time and it's like you want to be part of that energy like everyone's doing the same thing at once it went from being like a very individualistic like freeform dance to like everyone wants to be part of like one thing and um i guess people just want to be uh part of a whole now you know as one of the forefathers of dubstep in north america you've seen the scene morph and evolve throughout the years like you mentioned exploding from an underground community in england to this international movement that we're seeing today did you ever think dubstep will make it this far uh, not in a thousand years I thought Dubstep would make it this far, but the moment that I knew that um, it was like larger than life was, uh, you know, when Skrillex won his first first Grammy. As soon as that happened, I was like, uh oh, it's it's on. We're here. We're here. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. The bass music world is headbanging harder than ever these days. In your ears, what is the most exciting thing about bass music right now? Uh, right now, the most exciting thing about bass music is uh, sound design. It's got the uh, craziest uh, mid-range bass lines that are being written, like between um, drum and bass and and dubstep and 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 and, and bassline house. Like it's like basically ear candy, and uh, it's all about like pushing the envelopes and uh, using as many effects as possible to create this amalgamation of something that's never been heard before. You recently joined forces with the Disciple Records crew and it sounds like you had a massive year, lots of momentum, lots of releases happening with the label and the crew. 
what's popping off at Disciple that we should be digging? Uh, right now, uh, I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of biased in this question in this question because the best thing about Disciple is Disciple Roundtable, and that's the sub label that uh, me and my buddy Danny Defusco run, and uh, it's basically like. Um, me curating like you know a lot of my a lot of artists that I, I play in my sets you know uh, it's like me really like getting behind them and pushing them people like Murda and Infect and uh, a few other guys who I am uh, not at liberty to say at the moment but if you give me one week I might be able to it's really like a lot of stuff on Roundtable is just uh, you know the stuff that I'm feeling at the moment and that's the stuff that I'm playing as opposed to Disciple that's you know like every single one of those guys on the label is like a mainstay like they're like they're all in with that label speaking of some of those new artists who would you say are new leaders in dubstep that we should know the like right now the new leaders in my opinion you know I mean, the obvious is Excision. He's Dubstep Jesus. And, like, uh, Bass Nectars, you know, like, and Elenium, those guys are, like, you know, just Dubstep supernovas, you know? And obviously Skrillex and Flux Pavilion. But, um, you know, there, there's a new wave of kids I've noticed that are... They're catching waves, man, and, 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 and they're going big air on everything. And those artists would be, like, you know, Sudden Death and... Uh, Boogie T, Subtronics, um, Snails, you know, I, I, I'm real big fans of those guys. Oh, and Virtual Riot too, so Virtual, virtual Riot. Oh, and Barely Alive. And Phase One too. You recently launched your new Swamplex radio show on, let me see. You recently launched Swamplex Radio, your new radio show on Insomniac Radio slash SiriusXM. Tell us a little bit about the show and what can fans expect to hear there. Um, well, every other Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, um, you can catch my radio show on uh, Insomniac Radio, SiriusXM, and uh, it's... Uh, Basically, my first foray into being a radio show host, I enjoy it now more than ever because I've been producing a lot of music lately, so my sets are 90% my music or like a collaboration I've done with somebody else. And this radio show gives me an opportunity to play other people's music. It gives me the opportunity to uh, search and find the knowledge of other people's music. Uh, it's like... You know, for the first time in a long time, every week I'm like downloading promo after promo after promo, actually listening to it and deciding what to put in this radio show. And um, shout out to the uh, Noise House crew for uh, helping me uh, piece together each radio show. And um, I get a, I get to talk about those songs and like what I'm doing on the weekend. And they uh, hopefully it lets um, the the fans or whoever's listening uh, into like a little bit more of my persona and who I am as a person. What's the deal with your new EP, Swamplex Terrestrial? Uh, so I just put out my uh, second EP on Disciple Records. Uh, it's called uh, Swamplex Terrestrial and um, it coincides with the radio show as well. Well, Swamplex itself is like a made up word and uh, I'm a wrestling fan so it has 
Uh, it's like kind of a double entendre. It's like a suplex, but it's also complex. So swamp rhymes with comp, also womp, like, you know, like, so it's like swamplex. And it's like, the swamp is like, you know, like a muddy, like filled with like all kinds of life, like, but like it's got alligators in there and like all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, the terrestrial, it's like also another double play on word or double entendre where like, you know, it's like terrestrial radio, but also a terrestrial is like someone who lives on earth. So, you know, it's like this swamplex complex thing is just living, you know, or and it's a being, it's like an actual entity, but it's not, <laughs> if that makes sense. And what's, what's the EP sound like? The EP sounds like a swamp of dubstep music. And now you're bringing the Swamplex Terrestrial to life on tour. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of already started the Swamplex tour in Australia and New Zealand over Christmas break and, and New Year's. And um, that, that was a lot of fun. But the real Swamplex tour starts January 17th. And uh, I'm going to be on a tour bus hitting a bunch of cities all throughout Canada and America. And uh, I'm bringing uh, some of my favorite artists on right at the time. Like, I got Gentleman's Club with me. I got Schlump. It's my boy from San Jose. And uh, I got two guys from Disciple Roundtable, Murder and Infect. And uh, the, the tour is kicking off in Texas. Our first four shows are in Texas. We're going to uh, Austin uh, is the first show, which is uh, one of my favorite cities in the Union. I've been going out there for South by Southwest and stuff like that for the last, like, 12 years. Um, then we're going to Houston, and then we're going to Dallas, and then, um, you know, like, I'm glad that we get to kick it off in Texas, you know, and uh, stay around the South. We're going to Oklahoma City, we're going to Atlanta, you know, uh, all these real cool places where I've been uh, touring for almost 20 years now, you know. So for our listeners back home, we're in the compound in downtown LA, headquarters of 12th Planet, and when I walked in... Your team was working on some dope visuals for the upcoming tour. What do those look like and what can fans expect? You can expect a lot of uh, YouTube influenced art and a lot of art uh, that was actually uh, originally designed by one of my favorite artists. His name is Chris Dyer. And um, it's very influenced by like, you know, like um, South American, like folk art and like uh, very shamanistic and very um, like spiritual and like a lot of the art is like multiple meanings you gotta like really stare at the paintings to get um, the real ideas of what they are but it's kind of cool that we've been able to implement them into uh, my dubstep set because not only are you gonna get the headbang if you look up you're gonna see some some woke stuff man you've seen it all you've done it all you've produced it all you've remixed it all where does bass music go from here um, it's such an impossible question to answer because uh, I really don't know. Like, it's so consistent that, like, I just see it doing more of the same. And I feel I feel bad for even saying that because, you know, um, 
it's not that I like I definitely have passion for this music and I love bass music but it's like everything's like kind of already been done and it's like hard to like really push the envelope you can only get better at your craft so I guess the sound design is going to get more crazier the ideas are going to you know become more off the wall and uh, I guess that's what you can expect from bass music in the future this is Wide Awake Stories. I love that whole sound design thing. Yeah. I really like to Talking it. about the sound design, um, I completely agree. Just, you can make anything. You know, there are only so many notes that the human ear can hear, but what you can produce and create in sound design now, it just enhances that genre all the more I, I so agree. that's super cool because a big dig that i always had on on dubstep specifically not when it first came out but the second wave of kind of, of american the, dubstep of american dubstep yeah. was that it was just so squelchy and like one note in terms of the big crazy synths that were being used but some of the sound design stuff is getting really intricate and appealing to my like idm sort of love of things and you know richard divine and that whole sort of weird you know patch bay electronics 12 12's a big act for you right is he's someone you've been booking for a while yeah i mean he's a legacy act right like he's weathered the storm he's been around since day one and regardless of who comes in and out like he's just a staple i would say i'm confused about him because i hang out with him a little bit and he's american but he's basically adopted england as his like well, second country yeah like. well i mean he was inspired by uk dubstep as right. all american dubstep artists are whether directly or indirectly just right. because it, that's where it originated right but he, he, has, he, he, he carries around an arsenal football club bag and he's you know <laughs> he's, he's fully into the culture I, yeah, I, I, sure. I, when i'm hanging with him i think he's an english guy like why are you speaking in that weird accent <laughs> did you give you the p the pg tips yes yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got <laughs> but we talk about english culture it's strange I, he spent just, a lot of time there he's ah, also right, surrounded yeah, yeah. by a bunch of you know British people we're everywhere all of the disciple has an accent. Everyone's like, "That's true. just got here. It's cute." <laughs> Fresh off the Still boat, trying to get their visas. <laughs> no, they they all have a very nice accent and great music. Our next guest is someone who hasn't been around as long as Twelfth, but is making a huge impact on the scene right now. I'm talking about Say My Name. I'm really drawn to his charisma when he's performing. Like he just gives 150 percent every single time he's up there. You can tell he's genuinely happy having an amazing time. Kind of a soft-spoken dude, you know, when, when, when you chat with him in, in interviews, but very, very infectious vibe when, when he's performing. The cool thing about Sam and Ames is that he's been carving his own lane. He's been doing the hard trap thing that I feel like he's been pioneering. Uh, kind of set him apart from everybody else. Uh, I mean, it's also been cool to see him rise so quickly in the past couple years. You know, I remember, you know, we had done a, a Yoast theater show with him a couple years ago, which is like just a thousand cap. And now we have a Palladium show coming up with them uh, in a few weeks. So I feel like him just focusing on his own sound, not really worrying or getting caught up in what other people are doing has really set him apart from everybody else. Wide Awake Stories. So I was flipping through the Oxford Dictionary and I couldn't find the definition for hard trap. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly hard trap is? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Yeah, so hard trap is hard style combined with uh, trap or hip hop actually. 
and um, it's very aggressive. You know, it takes from the like, well, the main sound is like the hard style screech, very aggressive sound, um, mixed with like a hip hop rhythm with like the 808s and the claps. So it's very, I mean, it's a very simple combination, but um, super effective. It works on the dance floor, right? Oh yeah, it's it works. It, it it's just something about it. I think I think the best way to to explain it would be is like it's electrifying because when you hear it, it kind of like it wakes you up. You know, even if you really have never heard hard trap when you hear it for the first time on a big sound system at a festival, it like it just hits. <laughs> you know, definitely it slaps for sure. When I hop online and follow the hashtag hard trap on SoundCloud, I see your name dominating. You're being dubbed the Godfather of hard trap which is impressive for someone who's just 26 years old. How'd you come about creating the genre? Like, how did the sound come to you? Um, so back in 2012, when I was getting to trap music, I actually, um, my first remix was, like my first bootleg remix was um, a remix of Showtech's FTS. And that was really the first time I had messed around with, uh, I guess, with the, the main, like that hard style screech and threw it in the remix. And like, I got the feedback from that, from, like from fans and like friends are like, yo, that's different. You know, that sounds like crazy. It's like, it's hard style, but it's still, it's trap. And um, from there, you know, I just been, I was dropping remixes left and right, different hard trap remixes. And I guess just over time, just being on that, you know, that dominant force that, you know, that, cause there was no one else producing hard trap. So being like literally the only producer at a point producing hard trap, you know, my name was, that was my brand, that was me. And that's what people knew. Yeah, like as the godfather of hard trap. Does that make you feel weird being called the godfather of hard trap when you're just 26 years old? Uh, not weird, but it, it's like, it's a feeling I can't describe. It's a big title. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge title. It's, it's not a weird title. <laughs> you know, I love it, but it is, it's different when, you know, you are approached as like the godfather of, you know, a whole entire genre. Because when you think about it, like, you know, how do you start a genre? How do you build a genre? That's not that often that someone creates a genre into, you know, actually have done it. You know, it was a lot of hard work. It wasn't like easy. It's a title that I could be proud of, you know. You definitely put that on your resume. <laughs> um, when you listen to Heartstyle and you listen to Trap, it may not make sense on paper, but when you throw them down together, what is it about those two worlds that make so much sense once they come together? I really think the, like I had mentioned earlier, the aggressiveness of Heartstyle mixed with just like trap or hip-hop like beats like hip-hop in itself is it could be aggressive but it's more groovy you know you can dance to it it has a rhythm hard style has a rhythm as well but hip-hop has a different rhythm you know so when you mix those two rhythms it's like you get people moving like i've seen it you get people moving differently you get people responding differently you know they a lot of people their first instinct and fans their first instinct is going to mosh pit when they hear hard trap which i think that just comes from the aggressiveness of hardstyle but I, I don't know when you put them together it's just it's a combination i'm still trying to like really put into words what it you know what it is because it changes every every year every show i see it people react differently you know it's growing it's changing and it's evolving 
aside from hardstyle and trap sounding completely different, they're also two different cultures with two different types of fans and two different types of artists. Is it difficult to switch between styles and genres in your sets and in your music? Uh, it's not. It's not difficult. Actually, it, it makes the the sets more interesting and you know when I'm switching from different genres because I like to create kind of like a story not like a like an actual story like write out a storyline but I like my you know shows to feel like it's a like a storyline you know where I would maybe start off with you know some trap and then build into the hard style and then drop like a dubstep song and then in the middle of my set I'm you know playing house music and then you know I switch it back up and bring it back to hard style you know it's like a roller coaster so when you're switching back and forth through different genres if you're doing it right you're going to have a little bit of something for each fan to appreciate because everyone you know at a, at a festival not every at, I mean it depends on which set you're at but you know you get fans who want to you know who may not necessarily love you know trap music that's not probably going to be their their favorite genre but they're going to listen to it but when you play like house and you know if house is their favorite genre then you you know you're catering to both you know both of their likings you know do you remember the first hardstyle song or the first trap song that made you realize that combo could work together it's an interesting question i think the first hardstyle song that i heard that I, you know, that made me realize that combo could work together was probably the the FTS uh, track from Showtech, and you know that was that was, you know I trapped it out and turned it into a hard trap song, and I think it was really for me it was the the main um, break or the main melody which everybody knows you know if you're a hard soft fan you recognize that melody, and you know hearing that over like a a hip hop beat. And then throwing in some like some of the the hard style screeches on top, I was like, okay, that's a crazy cool combo. From my experience, the hard style fans are very protective of their culture and their sound. Have you ever got any heat from hard style fans for introducing trap into the scene and into the genre, or kind of morphing it into something completely different? Yeah, definitely. I definitely got heat in about like a probably a year or two into the project like around 2013 2014 um, I think when I started playing more shows and fans or not not fans but like um like or hard style some hard style fans like the real dedicated ones you know they came to like you know hit me on Twitter they're like you know you're disrespecting the hard style genre you know don't don't do that to our music you know keep it pure but um I don't, yeah, I haven't gotten any of that. I, I've actually gotten more compliments from Hardstyle fans for, you know, they're, they're saying that they love, you know, what I'm doing, you know, taking this sound and really introducing it to, at times, like the masses, you know, people who have never heard Hardstyle in, in a different way. So, but I did get heat in the beginning, a lot of heat. You started using the hard trap sound in your set around 2013, but when did you realize hard trap was starting to take off with fans and on the dance floor? In 2015, I realized hard trap uh, was taking off when uh, bigger artists like DJ Snake, Carnage, um, 
the Chainsmokers Adventure Club. You know, they started those those artists started playing my music, you know, around the world, and I started getting like these videos from fans like saying like, "Yo, look, DJ Snake's playing your track at so and so festival in so and so country," and that's when I started to see, you know, on a larger scale. Um, you know, fans reacting to it at different festivals, you know, like seeing it played, you know, seeing my tracks played at Ultra by Carnage. That was one moment I'll, you know, never forget because I can, you know, finally see like my tracks being played in front of like a mass crowd, like a main stage and seeing fans like actually vibing to it. I think that was when I realized, you know, this is something special and, you know, Hard Trap is, you know, was in, in a, like an emerging genre, you know, still growing. Fast forward to 2019, I believe Hard Trap's gone international as well, right? Yeah, definitely has gone international. Um, I get requests every day now from, you know, fans all around the world. They're like, yo, bring that Hard Trap to, you know, bring the Hard Trap to Colombia, bring the Hard Trap to India. And, you know, f- thankfully I've been able to play um, so international festivals. I just did Creamfields Hong Kong, uh, Creamfields Chile too. That was an, another cool, you know, testament or festival to see like fans in a whole other country, you know, going crazy to hard trap, you know, and then their reactions on social media, you know, they're hitting me up on Instagram, Twitter. They're like, yo, that was crazy. The godfather of hard trap in Chile. Like, so it's definitely international. It feels like we're in an exciting time for bass music right now. There's so much experimentation happening and so many new sounds popping up. Hard trap, freeform bass, melodic bass. What's exciting you most about the bass scene right now? I think the most exciting thing about the bass scene right now is seeing bass music played in are supported by all uh, different types of genre or DJs in different genres. Uh, for example, you know, you'll see like a Tiesto playing uh, like a dubstep track in a Vegas nightclub. You know, that's that that's cool to see like artists like him throwing like bass music into their sets and, um, you know, still keeping bass music alive. So in 2019, Hard Trap is entering year six officially. Where does Hard Trap go from here? Personally, uh, I'm going. I want to start a label, and uh, I really want to bring bring up more Hard Trap artists. From here, I can see a lot more Hard Trap artists who are you know emerging now. Say like a year from now, two years from now, um, finally getting their foot into that you know the door, like playing more shows and. You know, I want to to really help push those artists and just keep Hard Trap, you know, growing. Who are some Hard Trap artists that are buzzing right now that we should be following? Uh, So you should definitely be following. um, So the Lit Lords. Great name. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) literally Lit. um, It's an artist named Freaky. Um, One of my favorite artists to play out in my sets right now. Um, Throwdown. There's there's quite a few. But um, yeah, definitely those those three are like at, at the top of my, my radar to, to watch. <laughs> You've been an official member of the Insomniac family since 2013 when you won the Discovery Project competition. Since then, you've played EDC Las Vegas, Hard Summer. You're going on Holy Ship for the first time ever. 
Later this month, you're headlining the Hollywood Palladium on your Merciless tour. All in a matter of around five or six short years. When you look back at your career, what's been your biggest highlight and what's been your biggest career lesson so far? I think my, my biggest highlight um, was EDC at the Base Park in Las Vegas, uh, 2018. That was... Like I still can't put into words like the feeling of playing the you know the bass pod at that that set time I had too was insane, um, and just like being in front of a crowd that massive at a festival that you know I've I've attended as a fan for years and finally getting to play you know like coming from the discovery to the bass pod just seeing that was like a huge jump. And uh, I think my, my biggest lesson so far would be to um, just don't stop working, can like keep that same momentum, you know, that I've had in 2012, like production wise, um, just keep that same momentum going forward, you know, no matter how big I get, you know, you still got to keep working. Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. I'm curious to know from Tony, I mean, obviously Say My Name talks about that hard trap, which is kind of a combination of trap music and hard style, you know, flavor. Um, What other sort of, whether they're hybrid genres or just new sounds, do you think are going to be getting big in 2019? Like, what, what do you expect to hear a lot of this year. It's actually funny that you ask because when we met, actually I did an interview with you about a year ago or a year and a half ago. Yeah, I and remember. You asked me the same question and the answer is still the same except we've seen it come to life more. A lot of the experimental bass, I guess you could call it, is mm-hmm. doing really well. Um, it's it's a hybrid of everything, you know. It's it's bassy. It has you know a lot of glitchy, distorted sounds. It's a little bit more down tempo as compared to a lot of the bass music out right now. You know, a lot of people are gravitating towards that sound, um, and it's also it's creating its own scene. Who are some standout artists from from this group? Well, look at G Jones. He okay. was like a prime example of someone who went from super underground for years mm-hmm. to being like a top line everyone wants him on the festivals and like he's stuck he's sandwiched in between like big dubstep acts like he somehow makes like his down tempo experimental mix with like very energetic upbeat styles that to some people who never listen to it it's like very weird to digest but they just love it because they're just not used to it I love music like that where it doesn't make sense and it's difficult to describe but you just get it you just get it and you enjoy it yeah it's definitely heady I love that one of my favorite mixes from this year came from an artist called CCL and she did like a down tempo experimental mix for Honey Sound System show okay it's tight I'll send it to you yeah it's tight (laughs) one thing we haven't talked about yet and not to get too deep into like the sound system culture aspect of, of dubstep but I think more so than any other genre the creators of the cabinets and the sound systems themselves are so integral to bass music too I mean PK sound is 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 the easy one to it's really cool when we'll post a flyer everyone will be like where's PK sound I know right well and that's kind of a phenomenon that's really only there with with bass music I mean maybe Tony you just talk for a second about the relationship between the people who 
who make the technology too. And this, I mean, people are so proud of those speakers and Function One and PK and like, that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think that bass music, unlike other genres, it's really important for the fans to really feel it. You know, other music, you can get away with not feeling it in your chest. You know, it, it's, but with bass music, it's, you know, that's part of the experience is, is just that, that bass is going through your body and you feel it in your chest and it's that low end. Um, so, you know, whether it's PK or, you know, Hennessy Sound System or Function One, you know, there's different sound systems that, you know, work well for different styles, but for the fans, and in, in, in bass music, it's very important to have, you know, not your standard uh, sound system. I want to know who you were bribing. <clears throat> Walked past your stage at Escape and it was absolutely thumping. And then I went to this, I went to this stage to go check out Eric Prince and I was like, guys, you need to you need to turn it up in here because that other stage over there is absolutely thumping <laughs> and, and, they, and they did. But It but, actually was like like kind of blending into one another. Yeah, like a it was bleeding between big time. Factory and bass rush you guys had it so on loud. 12 or something over there it was yeah I, the, the way I see I think our stage is the most important it's just you know Eric Prids who you know? oh, so. shit. <laughs> how do you feel and what how do the, the Bass Rush crew and the fans of Bass Rush feel about when you have an artist that becomes so big that you've been supporting and you brought up through through Bass Rush and, and then they want to be on the on the main stage or on another stage how does that go down it's the, it's the circuit grounds dilemma oh when I first started here that would happen we would you know cultivate artists from them being worth zero tickets and you know we started selling out clubs and then started selling out bigger venues and you know they're one of our headliners and eventually they want to play bigger stages at first I would get really almost offended like hey you know we were there with you since day one now you want to bounce what's the deal um, since I've kind of matured since then I would say and now I've realized it's just part of the beast you know I feel like that's our place you know I feel that it's okay that artists want to play bigger stages we were doing it first you know and I think that's the that's what's dope about our stage and our brand is that we help bring a lot of artists in that may have not had a chance to play the other stages or or none of the other uh, buyers from the other stages may have even been interested you know but we we help develop them we give them attention then everyone else catches on you know so for me it's kind of like it gets annoying sometimes because then like people are like oh I want to book so-and-so now it's like well where were you two years ago when we were all about it mm -hmm. you know so it, it kind of makes it fun though because then we'll lose said artist to a bigger stage, but then we're always finding the, ne the next act. And it just keeps us motivated to keep finding and cultivating new talent. I remember at ADDC Vegas that happened when, when Excision, who was someone that would be playing the bass pod, obviously, had to go, uh, Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, got booked over on circuit grounds. And all it did to me was just expose him to that many more people on a bigger stage. And, and like, yeah, 100%. You know, more pe more fans, you know? Definitely. There's people that, you know, a non-bass music fan might never even stop by the bass pod. And I even have that experience, but they might be at circuit grounds for mm -hmm. Afrojack or whoever. And then they're stuck and, in the front. And, and then, then all of a no sudden, the decision goes on <laughs> and they're like, what is this? So, 
you know, I can't it, leave. In the end, it all <laughs> it all trickles down, right? So, like, you know, as you know, bass music has gotten more attention, and you have artists playing bigger stages. It only helps the overall scene in general. So, what's what's next for Bass Rush? Obviously, you're working on lots of stuff with Shy. What where's the, where's the future? I think right now the next big thing is trying to figure out our next big show. Um, also working on expanding to new markets. Um, you know, we've I feel at this point we've dominated SoCal. So trying to expand to new markets, you know, eventually other countries and just try to grow the brand uh, globally. Base Rush Festival coming, yeah? Yeah, forthcoming. All right. Soon. Also, to keep tabs on other things happening in the bass music world, BassRush.com for mixes, premieres, Q&As. Um, tickets. Tickets. <laughs> that, oh, yeah, tickets. tickets. Oh, yeah, tickets, too. So we find um, everything. But it's a really good spot to go for people, to, whether you're new to the scene or old to the scene. Um, it's a great content source, and I'm not just saying it because I'm involved with it. And we also uh, have a label. You could hear the music there. Base Rush <laughs> Records. Yeah, it's really, that's the hub. Base Rush has we a label. Also, you know, had a label that we've been working on for the past year and a half, two years, which has been really fun. You know, a really fun project that we've been able to, as well, help identify new talent and you know expose new sounds that we want to you know get behind yeah at bass rush on insta and on twitter and on facebook and on facebook and bassrush.com so if you, you want to get know, signed, now you know. signed to bass rush records then you have to slide into tony's dm yeah, oh, tag, <laughs> you have to tag tony with a soundcloud you have link. to get past shy first there you go. <laughs> right. tag tony and oh, shy with the, the level one boss <laughs> send all demos to tony <laughs> Speaking of music coming our way, here's music coming your way from our man Sam Yu with a new you. Yeah, if you're new to the show, uh, every segment Sam comes through with mixes, playlists, tracks. Hot uh, records. Hot fire. Hot for, yeah. your, for your inbox. Sam's hot records. <laughs> <laughs> Broadcasting from the Insomniac HQ. This is Wide Awake Stories. Happy New Year, everyone. It feels good to be back on the grind, especially knowing that I have a gang of new tunes to share with you. Seeing as how we have two undisputed heavyweights within the bass music scene in our midst, I figured the only way to keep the show going strong would be to keep pulling on the thread of the bottom end. So I'm here to share a little bit of the heat that has come across my desk since we got back from the holiday break. Tracks that are scattered all throughout the low-end spectrum. I'm going to ease into things, if you don't mind. Many of you are probably already up on Party Thieves, a producer from New York who first snuck up on us after taking home a W for one of the Discovery Project competitions. And in the time since, he's become notorious for keeping a steady flow of tunes that have kept those trap arms right where they belong. However... As most things tend to happen, he's now ready to put the past behind him and start a new chapter in his life. And he's doing so by shortening his alias and operating simply under the guise Thieves. You Got Me marks the start of this new chapter and he enlists the help of Berlin duo Katsi for a single on Mad Decent that points squarely at the next phase in his sound. And I am definitely hooked. Same when you're missing me You got me like a 
will tell you that the Never Say Die crew is basically the main plug for dubstep and rhythm. They never seem to sell you short on the heaviness. Their first release of 2019 is definitely no exception and for the release the label is leaning on Crimer, a Canadian artist who in the last couple of years has been rather prolific, just shelling out boundary-breaking dubstep at every chance he gets. He keeps that momentum going strong with Crown, an aptly titled cut that once you listen to it, you'll know that it was made for the rail riding masses. I'd like to move into trap territory now, and for that we have Bilo, who is mobbing out with a rowdy squad of remixers, who are each taking a stab at cuts from the Mosh Pit approved EP that Riot 10 slung out earlier last year. The cut he has his sights on is called Act a Fool, which you probably remember from the EP. It's the one featuring Bach Nero that was just a straight up throwdown. For his take, the rising phenom definitely goes for blood, putting a neck-breaking twist that pushes the energy of the original to the highest degree. Big ups to Riot 10 and Dimok for pulling together such a proper, proper remix package. Yeah, I'm about to act a fool in this motherfucker! My next pick is a bit of a throwback as it was given our track of the day nod back in 2016. Encrypted was featured on the Flatline Volume 4 compilation EP. The Firepower crew always seems to curate so well. Don't worry, I'm not going to play an old ass track for you because as it seems, the tune is getting a proper facelift. Zeta and Guillotine are ready to give their update to the world with a solid VIP. 
The two forces link back up and give that computerized chaos a new lease on life. Hi there. Welcome to SoundCloud. Well, you already have one copy of White Strike on your own mother song. I'm going to wrap things up on a bit of a gentle note by an artist who ironically normally has the heavy vibes on lock. Experimentation is something he and his Wakan label seem to do best. It's not completely out of the question to see Liquid Stranger try his hand at something completely different. He's been hunkered down in the studio lately and just resurfaced with a new single called Burn Like the Sun. He recruits the powerful pipes of vocalist Leah Culver and she lays down this gorgeous top line that just glides over the slow burning beats that Liquid Stranger manipulates in the track's three minute run. While it may be soft and some of you might want to throw shade, it's, it still has an odd amount of strange and bite packed into it. At any rate, it's the perfect way to wind down a bass heavy set. Check it. I'm the lightning bolt that hit the ground. Oh. I'm the thunder rumbling sound. Oh. Like a star that shoots like a gun. Let's oh. burn, let's burn like the One last thing, tickets are on sale today for Beyond SoCal. Today is the day. Today is the day, and there will be a Bass Rush presence there. There will be a Bass Rush presence. What, so. Give us the, what, what's happening. Yeah, we have a stage. And has that been announced? It Beyond, there is, it has been announced, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the dopest stage at the festival. <laughs> <laughs> Word has it. Word is, on the street I heard. It's totally in. unbiased, that is an objective. Nothing to do with the Bass episode. <laughs> It's just going to be... Yeah, objective projection. Yes. Come by. We will see you guys next month for episode 23. But Shai, you're still 21, right? No, I'm 22. You're 22. So, oh, last year I was 21 on episode 21. This year I'm 22 on 22. It's all really... Be- <laughs> we're only doing this for you. Okay. Clearly. <laughs> see you guys next month. Bye. Bye.